Hey everyone, it's Ace Edwards here, and right before we begin this episode, it's the scouting report for the NC State Wolfpack game, the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning that we recorded this episode last Friday, which was before we knew that the middle linebacker, Peyton Wilson, was going to opt out of the bowl game. He was their best defensive player. Uh, I don't think it truly affects either of our predictions, because spoiler alert, we predicted us to win this bowl game. But it is worth noting. So whenever we bring up uh, Wilson, just ignore it. All right. Thank you. Enjoy the episode. Shine or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And welcome to the long awaited bowl preview. You didn't see it in air quotes. Long awaited bowl preview for the Pop Tarts Bowl up against North Carolina State. And this has been a game that has several storylines going into it for several different reasons. Uh, we'll talk a lot about the storylines later. But, of course, we're here to give you the best scouting report that you don't buy and rather listen to for absolutely free. <laughs> but just before we go into you know their actual scouting report, I feel like it's important to go over their schedule and stats from this year. So, Connor, would you like to take their schedule or their stats? Well, I'll just start with the schedule. All right. um, this year um, started a little bit precarious for them. Uh, Closer than it should have been game at UConn, winning 24-14. Then they lose to Notre Dame by 21, score 45-24. to They blew out Virginia Military Institute, 45-7. And then they took down uh, their quarterback's former team, UVA, University of Virginia, 24-21. Uh, to Dropped a close game to Louisville before we knew what Louisville was, 13-10. Uh, to uh, Beat Marshall, 48-41 then lost to Duke 24-3, but then they ended the year in a five-game winning streak, beating Clemson 24-17, Miami 20-6, at Wake Forest 26-6, at Virginia Tech 35-28, and a convincing win against North Carolina, their in-state rival, 39-20. So they ended the season very strong and ended up finishing 9-3 with an uh, offense that was suspect at times, uh, but they, they finished strong. And are kind of on an upward trajectory right now. Yeah, I, I think that that's the best way to describe it. Is I, I wouldn't really be horribly concerned with the team, especially given the middling performances against some just all right schools. But then they ended the year on a five-year run. So they finished the year really, really hot. But in terms of just their general stats, they're a 9-3 and team with a 6-2 and conference record ran for 1,799 pass rushing yards with an average of four exactly per carry. Um, averaged 6.7 passing yards per attempt, 200 or 2,357 total. Nine touchdowns to 11 interceptions, 17 rushing touchdowns, averaging 5.2 yards per play. Mid. <laughs> Mid offense. And they're converting third downs on 39.31 percent of their attempts which is their best offensive statistic in my mind but there's nothing about the offense that 
it all in like spreads any confidence in me whatsoever. Yeah, uh, this is a pretty middling offense. Uh, the touchdown interception ratio is not very good, nineteen to eleven. That's that's not very great. Uh, rushing touchdowns is seventeen, but their yards per carry is pretty bad. Uh, the, yeah, their third down rate is fairly decent. It's not awful, but yeah, this is an offense that on paper is not so great, even though at least in the points they've been scoring, they've done a little better as of late, but it's, it's still an offense that really struggled at times, uh, this year against uh, some defenses that maybe they shouldn't have struggled against. Yeah. A lot of the, their better offensive performances seemed to be when their offensive line kind of took over and they were playing against teams that they could play bully ball with. If you don't let them play bully ball, it seems like their offense isn't all that great, with the lone exception of North Carolina. But you have the defensive stats. Yeah, so on defense, um, they're allowing third downs to be converted just 27.74% of the time, which is fantastic. Uh, and then they're allowing 5.3 yards per play. And that's also really, really good. Their turnover differential, plus 10. Uh, 33 sacks on the year. Again, really good. Uh, and then their red zone scoring defense, uh, they're only allowing touchdowns 60% of the time and scores 83% of the time. So they're doing really well in that department too. Uh, there's This defense is the, the calling card of this NC State team. They're, they're really, really strong. And just an all-around really good unit. They've really not been blown up by any teams with the exception of Notre Dame and Marshall, but that's kind of an anomaly. Uh, other than that, they've really, uh, this, the defense has won the battle against pretty much every offense that they've faced. Uh, that's, that's difficult to do, but it's a, it's a really, really, really quality defense that K-State's going to be going up against. Yeah. And I think that's the <clears throat> the big part of this game is going to be the offense versus the defense on Yes, Austin. That is that is correct. That is how football is played. But you know what I meant. But before we get into the specific scouting report, we also have to go over who they are losing in the portal or won't be participating in the bowl game. We have a list of seven really notable names. The rest of the guys were kind of death pieces. The most important one is interior defensive lineman. He played nose tackle for them, C.J. Clark. He ends up losing 451 snaps at interior defensive line. For uh, for reference there, the leader on the team in terms of defensive snaps was, if you'll allow me a second to pull it up, was 749. So he was in on just a little over 50% of the snaps for the defense, which is significant as a nose tackle. Uh, and then they're losing Lyndon Cooper, who was who had 311 snaps at center, which again is a pretty substantial number of snaps in term, like in the grand scheme of things. Given that the total was 812, but it was sort of their backup center. Still worth noting because he did get significant time and played a lot of different positions in terms of depth. Uh, losing Porter Rooks, 286 snaps at wide receiver. He was listed as their third highest receiver. And then Terrell Timmons Jr., 216 snaps at wide receiver. Uh, then, Connor, you can get the, the last three, which is perhaps not entirely unnotable, but had the fewest snaps. Yeah, Michael Allen, they lose him at running back, 190 snaps. He was another running back as well, Jordan Houston, with 91 snaps. And then Anthony Smith, 
uh, 93 snaps at receiver. So a not insignificant uh, number of people uh, they're losing. Most of the players are on the offensive side of the ball where they're losing significant impact, but the big one is on defense with C.J. Clark, uh, literally and figuratively. Yeah, and they're losing pieces to an offense that already wasn't particularly good. If memory serves, they were one of the least explosive offenses in the country, but that's sort of getting into the scouting report. And before we do that, here is a quick word from today's sponsor. And welcome back to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where we're previewing the Pop-Tarts Bowl up against North Carolina State. It'll be the Wildcats versus the Wolfpack. And we're just going to start off on the offensive side of the ball, as we always do. And I'll just give the on top before Connor goes into the the specifics. This is a pro-style offense in terms of philosophy. And I mean pro-style offense in the like mid-2000s definition of the pro-style offense. They're just not looking for the explosive play very often. And they're just looking to wear you down into dust with a bunch of short plays, whether it be running or more West Coast passing concepts. If, if memory serves, they're one of the least explosive teams in the country. Um, which, yeah, it you can tell by their... <laughs> you can tell by their offense. And it's a death-by-thousand-cuts philosophy where their goal is to dominate time of possession. In their last game up against North Carolina, they possessed the ball for 40 minutes. They possessed the ball for two-thirds of the game. That is their formula for winning. They want to make sure that their offense can stay on the field as long as humanly possible, and their defense has the conditioning with which to do so. And they want to keep your offense off the field as much as possible and you know i i'd say that's somewhat concerning as a game plan but i'd say that no matter who i was a fan of but connor you can get into the more general general specifics the specifics (laughs) about this team Uh, yeah they in terms of personnel they run a lot more 12 uh than we're used to uh, but they still run some 11 uh, occasionally, I mean, you're not going to see many college offenses that don't have 11 personnel. Uh, play calling, they slightly favor the run. 55% of the time they're running the ball. 45% of the time they're passing. Uh, so fairly even-ish split. And that also tracks with their offensive style. They want to play ball control, so you're probably going to be running the ball more because if you're going to be possessing the ball for 40 minutes chances are that you're going to be running the ball and burning some clock as opposed to throwing it 50 times and having a bunch of incompletions yeah so that completely makes sense there now in the running game they like zone running uh that's uh their bread and butter they want to get everybody moving laterally and they do run some counter as well as uh a pardon the pun counter punch Mm. and then they also in the passing game 19.65 percent of the time uh, they're running play action, uh, which, again, makes sense. You're running the ball as much as they are. You should be running some play action. Uh, and then screen 16.1% of the time. Uh, again, that also plays to their kind of death by a thousand cuts. Looking for the short stuff, not really looking for the crazy explosive plays every time. Uh, they're uh, going for ball control and easier stuff uh, to just keep the sticks moving. Yeah. And it's a philosophy that, you know, all credit to them, it works for them. 
And a big part of that is their man under center, and that would be the lefty transfer from the University of Virginia. That is Brennan Armstrong. He missed a few games with injury this year or didn't play in the entirety of them, miss a period of three weeks. But he came back and won his final three starts up against Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, and North Carolina. And he's been a generally solid quarterback for not only his entire career outside of, you know, two years where he was exceptional in 2020 and 2021, but he's been a perfectly fine quarterback for them this year. His biggest thing is his experience, and he just doesn't... He's not the type of person that really makes a whole ton of mistakes. You can see that in his turnover-worthy play percentage, which is minimal. <laughs> it's His turnover-worthy play percentage is... That would be uh, 9.3, thereabouts, third percent, or 10.3%. So 1 in 10 passes isn't really that bad, which, you know, it sounds like, oh, it's 1 in 10 passes. He's, it's not that bad. But, you know, and where he's going to operate his game is a lot of times it's going to be in the more pro-style concepts, which means he is going to work the middle of the field. He's going to try and work short and intermediate but that doesn't mean that he's completely allergic to throwing deep. 15% of his targets, give or take, are uh, deep. And he's pretty accurate on those passes, completing you know 50% deep left, 38.5% deep center, and then 77 deep right. So working across his body, he's not very good at making those completions. That's just about anyone. <laughs> but outside of that, he grades out really well in deep center and intermediate center. And then he is mid just about everywhere else. But his thing is just he's such a quick processor and he's going to make very few mistakes. And the only way that you can really knock him off his game is to speed up his already quick processor by applying pressure. Which, granted, their offensive line isn't the greatest at handling pressure. Uh, where his grade drop, he only has two touchdowns and two picks when he's under pressure, compare that to nine touchdowns to four picks when he's kept clean. I know that sounds like, you know, he has six interceptions on the year, only to 11 touchdowns, so that doesn't really help his touchdown-to-turnover ratio, but you got to keep in mind how few deep opportunities he's... If they're in the red zone, they're they're running the ball. <laughs> so, yeah, a, Brandon Armstrong is a perfectly serviceable quarterback who isn't going to necessarily win you a ton of games but you can win with him I think that's the best way to describe him he's not a quarterback you win because of he's a quarterback you win with and he's not going to in any way hinder your team's ability to win yeah I, I think that's a pretty reasonable way to describe Brian Armstrong uh, but I'm sure NC State fans are probably happy to have him back because they've kind of been through a pretty topsy-turvy QB room this year, especially in the middle of the season, because uh, I had MJ Morris, uh, who was a young guy, who looked really promising, but then after four games, uh, he sat out and redshirted and um, said he was going to enter the portal after the year, so they uh, lost him, which is just a really strange situation, um, but um, they'll be back with their number one guy, but that takes us to the running backs. Uh, we have number 20, Kendrick Raphael, and then number 34, Delbert Mims, uh, in an all-time name. For I missed back. the second M on the script, but it's it's Mims. 
It's still Mims, but there's a second M. Mims the third. That's still Mims. Yeah, it's still Mims. I I know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Kendrick Raphael, but there's one major caveat. Yeah. Um, They rotate a lot uh, at running back. They're they're both fairly similar players. Uh, Raphael's a, a younger guy. Uh, this is his first season of, of playing for NC State, uh, first-year snaps. Uh, not a good pass blocker, according to PFF. Uh, but beyond that, he's fine. Uh, he, he's an okay runner. Uh, he's doing most of his running uh, to the right side uh, or right up the middle. And But he does do a little bit of everything. Uh, he doesn't go off tackle very much, uh, but that's really about it. Uh, other than that, he's pretty versatile. He's got okay size of 5'11", 195. Uh, he um, only has one touchdown on the year. Um, averaging four, 13 first yeah, downs. Yeah, only 13 first downs as well. Just uh, 4.8 yards per attempt as well. Kind of an unremarkable stat line here. Just 60 carries for 288 yards. Uh, not a lot to really draw from Kendrick Raphael, but... Uh, he's still going to be an important part of their running back rotation uh, because they they're they're, they're out yeah. of most of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're we're gonna have to be prepared for him regardless. And then uh, Delver Mims, he is pretty much a I I forget what running back I compared him to. I think it was maybe Legarrette Blunt in terms of his stat line. Yeah, because he um, is just kind of a touchdown merchant. Like he's only averaging two point nine yards per carry, but he has eight touchdowns. On the season, uh, he does run um, on outside zone a lot. Most of his plays are to the either the ends or right up the middle. That is pretty much where all of his work is done. But no, he is a two point nine yards in the cloud of dust running back <laughs> according to his stats. Oh, dude, Harry Trotter. Pretty much, yeah. He's five eleven, two fifteen. He is a definitely a power back. Uh, he is. He's fine. He he gets he, touchdowns in short yardage situations. I don't have a lot to say about him. It, he's the put your head down, get the gritty yards guy. Like he's not going to dance around in the backfield. He's going to take precisely what is given for him, precisely what is blocked for him, and not much else. Yeah. Which, you know, there's something to be said about running backs who don't dance themselves out of good situations, but there's also stuff to be said who will never get themselves in a good situation. <laughs> But, so their running back room is, you know, for an offense that runs the ball a lot, not great. (laughs) Not great at all. But their receiving room is, at least athletically, somewhat better. Uh, It's led mostly by Keon Lassane and Kevin Concepcion. Uh, The other one would be Porter Rooks uh, in terms of snap leads, but obviously he transferred out. So it's really just these main two that are getting the lion's share of the targets. And Keon Lassane grades out to be an all-right receiver. Uh, He's rated as a 54.3 by PFF, 52.9 in the passing game. He's just, his biggest problem is he's not the greatest route runner and that he's just rounding off his routes a bit too early and also a bit too much. He's not the sharpest guy uh, in terms of route running. And he's also not the best at catching outside of his frame, which, you know, is something that you want a you know, good receiver to be able to do, especially if he's not going to necessarily separate in the best times. But 
his biggest thing is really just his athleticism and his ability to just catch the ball and then make one or two people miss to get an additional couple yards. I wouldn't describe him as a true like home run hitting threat where he's just a nightmare that you have to deal with every single time he's on the field. He's a perfectly fine, good receiver who's going to get some degree of yak every time he touches the ball, which granted is not a lot because of the offense that he is in. But if you also look at it, he only has two drops on the year, and he also has his fair share of contested catches, that being five. So he's an all right receiver with plus athleticism, but he's not in an offense that really caters to his skill set is the best way that I could describe it. Yeah, and yet to score a touchdown this year as well. True. And then you have Kevin Concepcion, who's a young guy, 5'11", 180. He's just the explosive athlete with insane acceleration who's used as a gadget player to take handoffs and get free releases at the line. As it stands right now, just think of him as the diet Walmart brand Luther Burden, uh, who we've seen two years in a row. He's much closer to freshman Luther Burden in that he doesn't have very many receiver skills as it stands right now. In fact, only two catches on the year per PFF. All right. And he is, I believe, their third leading receiver in terms of snaps. I can verify this, but uh, yeah, you can kind of tell what's going on there. They just don't pass the ball very often. He is their second leading receiver, and on 511 snaps, according to PFF, he has received two targets and one completion. It was a touchdown. It was a touchdown, so congratulations to him for scoring the touchdown, But part of me almost doesn't believe that that is correct, so I will be verifying this information because I am almost certain that I have seen him catch more balls than one. Yeah, that definitely seems to be a little unusual. To I think they said he had 351 uh, pass game reps. Yeah, um, well, considering... Yeah, so PFF is wrong. He's their leading receiver with 64 catches, 767 yards, and 10 touchdowns. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, so this is very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It could not be more wrong. Yeah, it, it literally could not be more incorrect. So, yeah, but still, a lot of the point still stands. A lot of his reps are getting those free releases, those gadget plays where he's said, just, you're getting the ball, be a better athlete than everyone else. Which, you know... You going to complain about that if that's on your team? <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. But, Connor, you have the tight ends and the left side of the offensive line. All right, so starting with their tight end, Trent Penix, number six. A 6'3", 235-pound tight end. A little on the shorter side for a tight end. Generally, you see them be at least 6'4", but, I mean, he's just an inch off, so we'll, we'll credit him for it. But uh, not the fastest guy in the world. <laughs> And also has had a couple of games where he hasn't played very much. The UConn-Miami game, uh, he only played six snaps in either of those. But then he also has games where he's playing 30 or more snaps. So it's been a little bit of an up-and-down year for him in that regard. Um, but he's pretty reliable. He's not super flashy. But he, he gets the job done. And he's also very experienced. He's been at NC State uh, since 2018 so he's in his sixth season of getting snaps for nc state so he he's been around the block uh for uh for the wolf pack yeah he's been here a minute yeah been here a minute 
And yeah, this year hasn't taken any deep routes, um, hasn't had a ton of targets, only 18 on the year, but he has made the most of those targets really for the most part, 14 catches on 18 of those targets, pretty much everything uh, in the short and the intermediate and he's got three touchdowns on the year as well. Does have a drop, so that does lead to a fairly high drop percentage just because of the lack of uh, targets. targets. Uh, but he's still a pretty quality tight end, and he's kind of a, those stats indicate that he's very situationally used, and he is only getting so much of the uh, uh, the offensive snaps or, or the targets. But when he does get the targets is because something's really been drawn up for him uh, and that that means that they see him as something reliable in the red zone most likely but he is still a, a factor to account for as a tight end slash fullback uh he isn't gonna be a major threat in the receiving game but he's not someone that we can ignore. just ignore yeah yep and then you have the left side of their offensive line yeah so at left tackle we have anthony belton a gigantic human being, six foot six, three hundred and thirty-six pounds, and he played the entire season. Uh, and like a lot of people in NC State, uh, had one of his best games of the year against North Carolina. He had an eighty-six point five pass blocking grade in that game, only a sixty-three point one run block, but that's still at least average. He graded out to seventy point seven overall. Uh, but despite being six six three thirty-six, he's pretty good at handling a speed rush and making sure that he's staying in front of people. Uh, so for his size, he is a pretty convincing athlete, and it is really good to, uh, really good at staying in front of people uh, and not, not just uh, falling into the stereotype of being a massive offensive lineman that's more of an anchor uh, than someone that can kind of move in space. So he is pretty valuable in that regard for NC State. Uh, 812 snaps as well. Uh, this year for Anthony Belton uh, in his second year of starting. So he's got plenty of playing experience and he'll he'll be a force to reckon with for our uh, defensive ends, especially because we're probably going to be seeing some younger guys uh, due to uh, um, a few transfers. So it'll be um, interesting to see how we attack Anthony Belton uh, or if at all. Yeah. But, yeah, and it's also worth noting that their line as a whole is giving up pressure on just under a third of their dropbacks, 31.75. So pass blocking unit, not necessarily the greatest. Yep, which uh, that brings us to Anthony Carter Jr., number 75, the left guard. Uh, at six foot three, 305 pounds. Uh, he's been okay this year. Uh, grades out to just a little below average at a 58 flat. Uh, but his pass blocking is just a little above average at 63.8. He's good at passing off stunts uh, to Anthony Belton, so those two have a pretty good connection, which, again, we've said it time and time again, that communication and uh, um, knowing the people that you're uh, playing with on the offensive line, that's one of the most important parts of being a good offensive line is being able to communicate and knowing what the guy next to you is going to do. Uh, and so Anthony Carter Jr. and Anthony Belton, uh, they have that Anthony connection, I guess. And <laughs> the Anthony they, telepathy. Uh, so they're able to uh, do a pretty good job there. But um, Anthony Carter Jr., uh, 756 snaps on the year. Uh, so another very experienced lineman from this year. 
uh, a very high snap count along with Belton. Uh, but he's he's been pretty solid this year. Could be a better run blocker. Not not the greatest in that department. Uh, and he still, according at least according to PFF, they see him as just about an average uh, offensive lineman. Six three three oh five is okay size uh, for guard, but not like an impenetrable wall at the very least. But he he's a solid guard. Yeah. And then you have Dylan McMahon, who was their starting center at the uh, the outset of this year. He's a perfectly fine center. He's been there for been starting for four years, been playing for five. Uh, 66.7 PFF grades, 70.4 pass block, and a 68.0 in the run blocking game. He's a perfectly fine, good center that the only notable thing I had to say about him is he has a tick whenever he snaps the ball where he snaps his head down half a second before he snaps the ball. And it's not a silent count thing because he did it at home as well. So he just has, I guess, a tick where, at least in the games that I watched, where he just snapped his head down like a half second before he snapped the ball, which if you're able to time that up, you could probably get a pretty decent jump off the line unless he realizes it now and has stopped. In which case, I have nothing to say about him. <laughs> but, you know, 6'4", 305, he's a pretty good offensive lineman. And it's like a lot of these zone schemes where almost all of your linemen are going to grade out to be pretty good because they're operating in a system where they can't easily pin one person and say they failed. So <laughs> it's really difficult to like assign blame to ding grades. That's also very similar with uh, Timothy McKay, who's lifted as, listed as a tackle, 6'4", 3'12". He's their right guard. He's been playing right guard ever since week nine after starting the year at right tackle. And uh, he got pretty... He got worse at his guard position. Like He was averaging average grades at right tackle, and ever since then, the highest grade he's ever gotten was a 64.9, averaging somewhere in the mid-50s. And that's being generous because I'm bad at math. But his pass blocking grades have also gone down. So if you're finding someone who's out of their natural position in a zone running scheme, it's easiest to spot them. It's still not the easiest thing in the world to do entirely. But you can definitely tell that he's playing out of position because the way he jumps into his pass sets is very similar to how a right tackle would do so or just a general tackle which means that he's overexerting himself to the outside as opposed to trying to work and feed rushes into the center. Um, which, you know, there are worse problems in the world to have, but that's still not something that you want your guard to be doing. Then you have their right tackle who's bounced up and down the lineup between left and right tackle, but will probably be playing right tackle for this game. That is Jacarius Peak, who's the smallest of the linemen at 6'4", 285. And he's rated out to be pretty solid, uh, 62.8 offensive grade, 70 point, uh, 74.6 in the pass blocking, and then 59.2 run blocking grade. It is worth noting that there is no real correlation between his pass blocking grades going up or down, depending on left or right side of the line. So he's just a consistently solid tackle. This is his first year getting significant snaps. So he's fine. That's the number one way that I would describe this line is even when they fail, it's hard to pin their failures on one person or say, oh, this person said, like, did this thing wrong and he's doing it consistently. 
No, it's just sometimes you lose. <laughs> like, that's the... I know that's riveting analysis, you know, coming from me. But, you know, sometimes you lose, and there's not much that you can do about it, but you, doesn't mean you didn't lose. <laughs> you have any final notes before we move on to defense? Uh, definitely not the best offense that we have seen uh, this year. It's not even particularly close. And In fact, this <laughs> offense probably is on the lower end of offense that we've seen uh, across this year because even some of the games that we dominated we uh, saw better offenses than this like I think uh, uh, Houston's offense was on paper uh, probably Houston's better offense, offense on paper was better so uh, but we also are gonna have to weigh with that uh, some of our transfers out on defense and who will step up uh, so it'll be interesting to see the uh, offense of NC State versus K-State's defense uh, just because there are some unknowns there, but this is a matchup that should favor K-State on paper. But again, it remains to be seen just because we don't know 100% who's going to be filling in, uh, you know, uh, Kobe Savage's spot, for example. Yeah. But then we got the defensive side of the ball. And Connor, you have their personnel and coverages as well as their first player. Yeah. So um, their personnel, they run a 3-3-5 or variant of it. Uh, most defenses do this at this point. Um, they walk up an outside linebacker into a wide nine uh, and uh, favor the rush defense and pass rush part of the Sam role as opposed to the pass coverage one. K-State, the opposite of what we yeah, do. Yeah, K-State favors the pass coverage part because uh, Purnell's more playing as a traditional linebacker. They just take the guy that would be Desmond Purnell and he stands outside of the uh, defensive end. Yeah, outside of the tackle. Yeah, so that's a... That, that's their defense. Yeah, that's their yeah. defense. <laughs> and in coverage, they're playing a lot of off coverage, uh, and they blitz a lot as well. Uh, but then on the interior, just getting into their personnel, uh, of course, they're losing their main uh, nose tackle. So Brandon Cleveland, number 44, which is an interesting uh, defensive lineman number, yeah. uh, especially for a nose. Uh, he is their only interior defensive lineman with more than 100 snaps. Uh, that is remaining. He has 206. Uh, so he... Not too bad there. He's really been graded out with a fantastic game once this year, and that was against Notre Dame of all teams, where he got an 86 grade. Good for you, man. But uh, beyond that, it's been mostly slightly above average play for Brandon Cleveland, which isn't anything to you know sneeze at. But uh, he isn't as dominant necessarily as uh, his old uh, battery mate uh, CJ CJ Clark. Clark. Uh, but uh, he uh, does take him. It does take him a moment or two to get started when he is going on a rush, which I get. It. He's a big. He's six four, three hundred pounds. It takes a while to get an object that size in motion. Like, <laughs> like it, it, I've been there, man. I, <laughs> I get it. So, but he's a, he's a power five football player, so he uh, maybe should be a little bit more explosive. Uh, and then he also he tries to attack one side of the lineman. Um, Meaning that his ability to rush with true power isn't really there. He's just kind of more grasping for leverage uh, and, and trying to out-angle people. Uh, but he'll, he'll just try and rip and ride to the outside as a nose tackle, which isn't really what you'd expect as a nose tackle. That's More of an end or a three-tech yeah, thing. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly what I was thinking in my mind is a three-tech, which his size, uh, 6'4", 300, maybe lends itself more to a three-tech. Uh, and he might be a natural three tech, and that may be why he's doing that. But that's not the position that he's playing right no, now. He's so, those. Yeah, so he needs to he needs to go more for a true power, uh, but he's not really doing that. Uh, so that's 
um, potentially an exploitable position there if he doesn't figure out his form a little more. But he's in his second year of playing. He's definitely playing a lot more than he did last year. And his grades from year to year are very consistent. Uh, a very slight increase, almost not even worth mentioning from last year. But he's he's solid. He's got eight pressures this season, two sacks, uh, two hits, and four hurries. 13 tackles. Pretty standard fair stats for nose tackles. They're just not. There's just not a lot of stats you can really write down for nose tackles because most of the time their impact is not uh, felt on the yeah, stat sheet. Yeah, the stat sheet is just not where nose tackles live. It's you. You really have to be being. You have to pay attention really a lot of times in the games to see what they do. Uh, and sometimes nose tackles make it fun to do that. Like Timmy Horn in 2021, he was fun to watch, yeah. but. Uh, not every nose tackle's impact is obvious, and uh, Cleveland could be one of those guys, uh, but he still has some development to do. Yeah. And then we move on to their edge players, or what's listed as their edge players, which is Devin Van, number one, and then Savion Jackson, number nine. Uh, Van is 6'2", 280. He's playing their strong side defensive end. He's graded out really well the entire year. It's also worth noting that the entire defense, outside of one really, really, really exceptionally great player, is one of those defenses that just has insane cohesion, which is why they're so good. Because if one person is making a mistake, another person on the defense knows that they're about to make that mistake, and they're immediately going to compensate for it. And they're just not going to have, you know, in those situations where they do make the rare mistake... Someone's going to be covering for it, and then there someone's going to cover for them until it's basically just a brand new defense. <laughs> but that's more of an aside. Whereas Devin Van, uh, he has a seventy-six point three defensive grade, seventy-six point seven run defense, sixty-nine point six pass rush grade. Uh, he's got a total of thirty-two pressures this year with six sacks, six hits, twenty hurries, and one batted ball. Thirty-two pressures in a year is exceptional especially on only 355 pass rush reps, so he's just under 10% pressure rate. And that's 11 fewer pressures than he had the prior year as well, which is even more makes that even more impressive, maybe. Yeah, especially when he's playing that 3-3-5 defensive end position, which scares me, honestly. <laughs> um, so, you know, he's an exceptional player, and he's really strong in both the running and passing games. And he's the definition of the type of player that you want in this 3-3-5 scheme. And he excels in that role. It would not surprise me if he ended up, if he decides to go out this year or next year for the NFL draft, it would not surprise me at all whatsoever if he ended up being a late day two, early day three pick, just because of how he's built and how well he plays his position. Uh, then you get into Savion Jackson, who is no slouch in his own right at 6'2", 290. Uh, he has a 71.5 defensive grade, 83.9 run defense, and then 57.2 pass blushing grade. Um, he has 18 total pressures on the year, 3 sacks, 3 hits, 12 hurries. His biggest thing is he's not the first off the ball, but he takes explosive steps. And he's just going to punish any lineman not in sync with the center. And you'll notice that he, it is consistent where he's he's not the last person off the ball, but he's pretty close. But he makes up with that by being just massively explosive and immediately just booming you 
the moment that you give him any opportunity to do so, which is a big reason why he's such a good run defender is because he's an insane force player. But in terms of pressures, if he's not running you immediately back, if you can survive the initial onslaught, basically, he's a perfectly fine contain rusher at that point. It's about surviving the initial, admittedly very, very rough initial punch with Savion Jackson. Something I do want to note about these two defensive ends is their size. Uh, both of them are six foot two. Both of them are two hundred eighty pounds plus. Um, that is the size of defensive end that K State needs. Yeah. I think that's uh, not necessarily a preview thing. That's more of a broader implications. That's a, that's a thing. statement of fact. Yeah. Uh, it's a. Uh, I'm just. Those are the type of players that I think we should be gunning for in terms of frame. Uh, we might have a few on the roster. Jordan Allen, I think, could get close to that number. Uh, Chidi Obiizor, I bet, could get pretty close to that number. He's taller and longer as well. Ryan was close to that, yeah. and then he caught mono. Yeah, so it could happen to anybody, really. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that's the type of player that we're going for more. If you follow the transfers that we're targeting that are visiting, some of those guys are pretty similar sized and bigger, even. Uh, I think that seeing this listed with the 335 guys uh for NC State I think that also helps put in perspective why a guy like Nate Matlick transfers because uh he really is out of position for K-State and this is a whole separate side tangent but I felt like it was relevant it with is. their edge rushers because they're quality edge rushers uh but those are the type of guys that I think K-State should be trying to get and I think that we have those guys on the roster we just need to develop them yeah but that that's a whole side thing now, now onto the linebackers. Yep, there's three linebackers. Number two, Jalen Scott. Number 11, Peyton Wilson. And number 10, Caden Fordham. And I believe Peyton Wilson is the one who won the... Uh, he is. Uh, ...Bednarik. He won the Bednarik, yeah. Yeah, so pretty good. But we'll start with Scott. Um, 6 foot 1, 225 pounds. Uh, 69.2 overall defensive grade this year. Uh, 77.1 on the run defense. Uh, pretty quality there, 68.3 in the pass rush. I don't really put much stock into tackle grades, but they give him a 61.7 there. Uh, and then a flat 60 in coverage, so perfectly average uh, according to PFF, although that's with a few really bad performances and a few elite ones as well, mm-hmm. so make it that way you will. But Jalen Scott ultimately um, averages out to an above-average linebacker that plays well uh, in the system. Uh, he's all right at fighting through blocks, uh, though not necessarily meeting them. Uh, he kind of ducks the blocks to get around and uh, change running angles and, and play the force a little bit. Um, he's good at that. It's not really what you'd want him to do, but it works. And I mean, he's he's their Austin Moore, I think, is the best way to put yeah. it. Which you know, I, Austin Moore is a good run, a uh, good linebacker, so can't really be too upset with that. Yeah, the only difference is that, well, Jalen yeah. Scott likes playing downhill more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jalen Scott likes playing downhill. Uh, he is looking to clog any running lane or find a hole or a gap in the line uh, to rush through. He uh, is a head-on-fire downhill type of linebacker, uh, which they're a lot of fun to watch when things are working, but then you sometimes get games where everything kind of falls apart. Like this year, the Marshall game, he graded out as a 41.2. 
uh, defensive grade. Uh, sometimes you can get exposed by over-aggressiveness. Granted, he played 91 defensive snaps in that game. Yeah. I'd it, get pretty tired, I think. It, it's no coincidence that the games where NC State lost is the games where they had more offensive snaps or more defensive snaps than offensive ones. Yeah, so there, there's something to be said for that. Uh, then Peyton Wilson, uh, six foot four, two hundred and thirty-eight pound, uh, best linebacker in the country uh, according to the Abinerik Award. Uh, so I'm really gonna get the best of the best here in this game. Eighty-eight point seven grade uh, over the course of the season. Eighty-three point two in the run defense. A ninety point six tackle grade. Again, I don't put a ton of tackle grades, but when you're Tackle grade's that good, you're probably good at tackling. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. And then, it's uh, it's yeah. good at the extremes. And then 90.4 coverage grade, uh, fantastic for a linebacker. And then a 73.4 pass rush grade just to add to it. Uh, yeah, there's really nothing he can't do. Uh, yeah, no, he, he's the best linebacker in the country. Yeah, he he's probably worth a first-round pick in the NFL draft, and not many linebackers are, uh, especially in the modern-day NFL. But he can do everything. He had 22 pressures this year and six sacks. There's nothing that he can't do. Uh, Peyton Wilson's going to be a problem. I'm not looking forward to facing him no. at all. Uh, at all. He, he genuinely frightens me. <laughs> and I will be locking my doors up until the uh, the bowl game is done. But and there's not much I can really say uh, to add to it other than he's got a ton of experience. Uh, and he really just burst onto the scene this year. Kind of a late breakout according to his grades, uh, but he has been around the block uh, playing in five seasons. I think he may have gotten hurt in 2021 and uh, cut his year short, uh, but yeah, he's been here since 2019. He's in the seasons that he hasn't been hurt. He's played at least 366 snaps in all of them, so tons and tons and tons of experience uh, for uh, Peyton Wilson, and he's just a really good linebacker. Uh, I, I I wish our offense the best in trying to figure out how to... Yeah, because he lines up as an edge player, too, which... Uh, Good luck with that. Yeah, have fun. Uh, last linebacker, though, uh, not as notable, no offense, as is Caden Fordham. Well, you, it's hard to be as notable as linebacker of the year. Yeah, <laughs> so there's that. But he's 6'1", 228, uh, 61.8, uh, defensive grade, uh, 71.4 in the run defense category, a 72 tackle, kind of middling... Uh, pass rush 55.7, coverage grade of 54.9. Uh, he's listed as their Mike uh, backer, and he's he's fine. Uh, um, this is his first year as a starter. Uh, he, he has played in the prior two years, though. Not a lot notable on him, really, other than he really had a bad game against North Carolina, and other than that has been consistently decent throughout pretty much the entire year. Uh, not a pressure threat. Uh, only five pressures on the year, just one sack. Uh, I have nothing else to say about Caden Fordham. Yeah, there's not much to say. Then you get into their corner room, which is led by Shaheen Battle and Aiden White. Shaheen Battle, 6'2", 195. He's sort of the, the jack-of-all-trades guy. He's been playing all four years. And the defense asks a lot of him in particular where he's going to be the one who's handling most of the coverage trade-offs. He's doing the motion trades. And he's gone as far as to playing just true center fielding free safety because of how coverage trade-offs work in this defense. So he's probably the most versatile weapon on defense. And he's graded out to be pretty 
you know, above average or well above average. 72.2 defensive grade, 72.5 run defense, and then 70.7 in coverage. In terms of allowed balls, pause, uh, he's allowing the receptions on 49% of his total targets and a reception or an, uh, and then 18.8 yards per reception. So again, he's less than 50% of the passes that head his way end up complete, which is very good. <laughs> Though he only does he does only have uh, two picks on the year. He has three pass breakups. He's he's a really good versatile chess piece of this defense that if you're trying to read him specifically, why, first off, but secondly, you're not going to get much out of it because he can do just about anything from an outside corner position. Then you have their other corner, Aiden White, who is similarly experienced, though doesn't have the same amount of snaps. He's been playing for four years. He grades out well, just about as well as his compatriot. 72.4 defensive grade, and then a 71.9 total coverage grade. He's a fine athlete, but the coverage really doesn't do him any favors on the short stuff. He's just a tick too slow in zone coverage to punish routes that break like two or three yards in front of him. So speed outs, if K-State decides to run a speed out in any time this millennia, that would not be his his forte. But he's still only allowing 53.3% of the passes that head his way to be completed and 11.8 yards per reception with two picks and seven pass breakups. Though he has committed four penalties on the year. So both of their corners are pretty good. And then you get to their safety room, which is really hard to get a gauge on because it's hard to get a gauge on just by virtue of how their defense works, where literally no one is playing like the same position at any given time on like a game-to-game basis. They have three safeties that can all do the exact same thing to varying degrees of success. <laughs> Yeah, and those three guys have Robert Kennedy, number eight, uh, uh, Devon Boykin, number 12, and then Sean Brown, number zero. Um, yeah, Kennedy, he's listed as a slot cornerback for the most part, but has also started some strong safety. PFF's trying their best, I guess, and just trying to figure out where he's starting. I don't know where I'd put yeah. him either. Um, has had a few standout performances this year. Like against Marshall, he put up a 96.4 run defense grade, which is incredible, and 89.8 run defense grade across the whole year. And great, that was a 79.7 defensive player, uh, which is really excellent. Uh, and his coverage is really good, too. He's a 77. All around a quality uh, um, safety. Has six pressures as well and two sacks on the year. Granted, uh, two those both of those sacks came against Virginia Military Institute, so those don't really count as real sacks. Those but, aren't real. Those didn't happen. But uh, he's giving up receptions on sixty six point seven percent of his uh, uh, targets, giving up a nine point nine yards per reception. Uh, does have uh, two picks and three pass breakups. Um, has had a couple of penalties this year. Um, but all in all, he's a fine safety. Uh, giving up catches on two-thirds of his targets, that's that's safety numbers, I guess. Uh, but keeping the yards per reception down uh, is pretty interesting as well. Uh, doing a little bit better there than I think you might expect. Uh, especially given how some of their corners uh, were doing in that department. Uh, not so good. Yeah, not so great. Uh, and then next you have uh, Devon Boykin, 5'10", 195 pounds. Uh, another guy that's... Uh, been pretty consistent throughout this year, including uh, his run defense grade of a 91.2 and a tackle grade of 86. Uh, those are both uh, pretty standout. 
uh, but only 72.1 overall grade because his uh, coverage grade is just down at a 64 and his pass rush is only a uh, 57.4 and he pass rushes a little bit more than you would expect uh, 22 pass rush reps for a safety is kind of odd uh, but only three pressures so make it that what you will uh, but yeah not a, not a ton to say about him either um, he is giving up a receptions though on 80 percent of its targets only been targeted 20 times so it's just 16 catches so nothing crazy there been penalized once does have three picks uh two pass breakups which uh is pretty solid given that he's only been targeted 20 times but uh, yeah just not as much to say really about devon boykin either um other than he's got some good qualities and like his uh running mate robert kennedy uh pretty good in the uh yeah, and I, I caught that one. Pretty good in the uh, uh, run defense as well. <laughs> then the final safety. And then Sean Brown's the last guy, six foot, two oh seven. Um, again, another guy that's pretty solid across the board. Uh, tackle grade is really high, eighty six point nine. And his pass rush, again, thirty five pass rush reps is kind of weird for a safety, but eighty one point nine in that department. Uh, 62.7 overall is uh, all he has, but that's because he's brought down by a 50.4 coverage grade, which is not very good. Uh, and then a 75.2 in the run defense. Uh, his tackling style is kind of weird. Uh, he's very conservative uh, with how he tackles. Um, he is very willing to let a play come to him uh, as a safety, uh, which is a little strange. Not what you would expect, really. Uh, he's a better tackler because of it, but it also means that he's not really making those splash plays. Uh, he's not getting downhill and making a big hit or a huge tackle for loss. It's because he's just kind of setting himself up to just make a solid, uneventful day at the office tackle. Uh, he's been targeted 37 times in pass coverage this year, giving up a reception 24 times, 64.9% of the time he's giving up a reception 11.2 yards per reception and he has two interceptions just one pass breakup on the year and he's been penalized twice uh so he's fine he's fine he's a good tackler yeah but yeah that is all of the actual scouting report now we can go into the stories to watch going into the game first and foremost you know normally we we uh we word our stories as questions but this is just a statement Welcome to the Avery Johnson era. That's all I got. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here, even if it, it it may have cost us something, but yeah, we're here. Yeah, it, um, I'm I'm very happy to uh, finally get the Avery Johnson era underway. Uh, I like that he switched to his uh, his old high school number of uh, number two, uh, so it'll be a little different when he's out on the field. But I'm excited to see what we do with Avery as the uh, unquestioned starter now. Uh, kind of similar to how we uh, were excited to see what Will would do as the unquestioned starter this year. Now we're seeing Avery. Uh, he's the guy. Everybody knows it. And our game plan is going to revolve around uh, Avery and his capabilities now. So it's going to be exciting to see what we draw up and what's the same, what changes. Yeah next story as well yeah uh so related to that who steps up and separates themselves as avery's favorite targets my heart really wants it to be trace bivy like really really badly wants it to be trace bivy and he'll get opportunities because of how the wide receiver room is sort of panned out with i think it's a 
well, there's a few notable opt-outs. I'm not sure if it's public information, but let's say that one of the leading receivers has opted out. Uh, ben, I'm not talking about Ben Sinnott. I'm talking about national receiver. But I, my heart wants to say Trey Spivey, but my brain and also a little bit of my heart is just leaning towards Jace Brown. Yeah, I think that's a completely fair assessment. My heart is taking me towards Garrett Oakley, Garrett Oakley. Uh, which uh, with Ben Sinnott opting out of the game, uh, big opportunity for our man, uh, my boy, Garrett Oakley. When you Mitch now? No. But, uh. I, <laughs> but I, I, I'm very excited to, to see the connection that they can build uh, because I think Garrett Oakley's going to be a really nice security blanket uh, for the bowl game, hopefully. But Jace Brown, I don't think you can go wrong with that pick either because uh, Jace Brown does have uh, some really valuable experience as a true freshman. But I hope, like you, uh, that it does end up being traced by Ivy, but I'm not quite ready to say that yet, uh, just because we haven't seen a lot of them. But I do still have high expectations for Trace Bybee. Joke's on both of us. Ty Bowman. Okay. And <laughs> Next question is, how does Connor Riley fare in his first game as offensive coordinator against the one of the best defenses in the country? I'm really interested to see that. Uh, uh, we've been told by Chris Kleiman that the offensive philosophy is not changing. Uh, for the bowl game at the very least. Uh, it's going to be exactly the same because uh, they've got two years of experience with it now, which I think is the right move. Uh, I think it'd be kind of weird to hire and staff and completely change the offense. It'd be uh, funny. It w- I guess you could do it, but I, it'd be I'd, really ra- stupid, I'd rather be not. Funny. But <laughs> I, 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 I'm not sure how much we're going to be able to draw from uh, this for Connor Riley's skills as an offensive coordinator, just because, like you said, uh, NC State, uh, their defense is incredible. This isn't like the Texas Bowl in 2021, or I guess it was 22. It was 22. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be like that because uh, um, LSU's defense was nowhere near the animal that NC State's defense is. Uh, so this isn't like Colin Klein getting to go out and sharpen his teeth uh, against players by the likes by the names of pig cage <laughs> i think pig cage actually graded out to be like their best defensive player no yeah oh he definitely was good i wasn't saying that to say he's bad just to to say that uh you just wanted to say yeah i just wanted to say cage. pig cage but um this is gonna be a really 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 good off or defense that we're facing uh but we still have some weapons of our own so i'm gonna be interested to see the strategies we use to take guys like uh peyton wilson out of the game and uh or as much as we can, at least. And uh, um, just what we're comfortable having Avery do. But i that's a lot of words to say I don't know <laughs> how he's going to do. I'm honestly nervous uh, for how he's going to do. Because I've, I've gone on record saying that I, I'm apprehensive about the Connor Riley hire at offensive coordinator. And Klein, Kleiman, I should say said today that it was going to be an audition of sorts. I don't. I think he's lying. I think Connor Riley has the job. I'm apprehensive. I really hope he does well. And I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I think against this defense, I would temper your expectations for seeing many fireworks. I think he calls a perfectly fine game. I think that he... If he walks out of this with a performance that's above like a B, I will be ecstatic. I just, I wonder if he can. 
yeah, this is definitely a tough challenge for your first ever game as an offensive coordinator. Yeah, welcome to the fire, buddy. Yeah, but um, next story to watch, can K-State keep the time of possession balanced against a team that really wants to control the time of possession? Yeah, I mean, this is a team that literally just wants to grind you until you're nothing anymore. Like They want to make you dust by the end of the game. And I think for better or for worse, I think that's one thing that Connor Riley definitely could do and understands how to do because he understands how his line is going to block uh, for even passing plays, short, long, anything in between, and running plays. He was the running game coordinator. I'm not worried about the running game whatsoever. I'm more worried about the passing game for the future. But I think that K-State, the biggest worry for me is... This is going to sound very strange. Is going to be Avery's explosiveness. If he's able to play in control, I think it'll be perfectly fine. But if he is like, okay, uh, first like first down, nothing. Second down, two yard gain. Third down, you know, eight yard gain. And then suddenly, explosive play, explosive play, explosive play. That's almost what NC State wants you to do is they want to get you off the field as soon as possible so they can grind your defense down. So I'm really looking for Avery and Connor Riley to play a more in-control sort of game because they, if they are going to be looking for the explosive play, that's what NC State did, or that's what North Carolina did with a future number one or number two overall pick in Drake May. I love Avery Johnson. He's not Drake May right now. So that's not a winning formula for them. Yeah, um, I, I do agree. I think that the best way to deal with that is to just play the game. Uh, play uh, play the game they want to play. Uh, and by that, I mean take their philosophy, basically. Uh, a team that wants to win time of possession, the best way to counter that is to either score on every single possession that you have in, like, two minutes or to uh, score on every possession that you have in, in like, like, ten, ten minutes. <laughs> And I think K-State should do the latter, or at least get closer to it. I don't want to have every possession be 10 minutes. That sounds a little tedious. That but, sounds awful. <laughs> but I think that maybe the uh, the the best option uh, for K-State is to try and stretch their drives out a little bit more than maybe they want to, or at the very least are inclined to do, uh, because I think that they stand a better shot against this defense if they keep them out on the field longer. We've seen... Uh, at least through PFF, that a lot of times their um, defensive grades go down the longer they're out on the field, uh, uh, at least for some players. Peyton Wilson, I think, is a machine and is going to be incredible regardless. Yeah. But uh, I think that uh, if we can keep their their defense out there longer uh, and play the sort of game that they'd want to run against us, uh, I think that's that only benefits us. Yeah. And then the final question is with the d-line being depleted only just now as of recording which unfortunately now dates and times the episode with just now getting the news that brendan mott and austin moore will be back though austin moore is not relevant to the question with the d-line depth being depleted can the cats keep up the pressure against especially the running game uh that's kind of the million dollar question uh, well, it's maybe the $100,000 question, but it, it is a question. And I think uh, I'm very interested in what the answer is going to be. I'm not horrified of the answer, uh, but I am intrigued by by it. I, I'm 
curious to see if we see maybe some of the younger guys a little bit more in this game. A guy like uh, Chidi Obi's or maybe even the Jordan Allen. Uh, we might see uh, might see a bit more Donovan Ryman in this game, perhaps. I'm interested to see uh, some of the guys that rotate a little bit more. And uh, I, I think that being able to mostly stymie their, their running game is going to be so big. And we need to create disruption against their offensive line and not let their offensive line get in a rhythm. Uh, and with a little bit of inexperience on the defensive line, maybe, and losing a little bit of depth, um, I'm hopeful that we'll see some young guys step up. But, you know, it's, you know, a guy like Jordan Allen we haven't even seen yet, even though there's high expectations for him. And Judy Obi has played all like 30 snaps this year. Yeah. So the now we get into offensive and defensive MVPs. I have Jace Brown and Austin Moore. I have Avery Johnson and Marquis Siegel. So before we get into score projections, I seemingly ever since the middle of the year, we've been doing a segment saying K-State loses if. Uh, first off, let me say I project, I personally project this game to be a rock fight. I don't think this is going to be a pretty game. I think that when it's over, no matter who wins, both sides are going to be walking away saying, wow, I'm really glad that's over. <laughs> I think that is the script for this game. But NC State wins, and it's very simple, if their game plan of controlling the clock is successful. Because they're going to end up hitting a lot of field goals. They're going to end up in the red zone if they end up with the time of possession that they want. K-State needs to play a clean game in terms of no turnovers, which is going to be a heavy ask for both a new offensive coordinator and a true freshman quarterback making his first official start. I'm not counting the one where he lined up as a wide receiver. I'm not counting that one. That does not count. But that's how NC State wins this game, is if they make it about their game plan, which is the grind you into dust, milk the clock, and make sure that the only plays that you get are not sustainable in any way, shape, or form. That being said, my score projection, and I hope I'm wrong. I truly, in my heart of hearts, hope I'm wrong. I have it being a 13 to 10 victory in favor of the Cats. Uh, I've got K State winning 24 to 13. Uh, I think that we'll get one drive where the beneficiary of a turnover deep in NC State territory, and I think that buys us at least three points. And I think that we can get three touchdown drives out of the K State offense, or the very least three scoring drives at minimum. And I, I think that we can expect a really great defensive performance as well uh, from K-State. I I, I think that it's going to come down to who steps up to replace Kobe Savage. And, you know, is that Steiger? Is that Cobbs? Uh, And if they're able to step in and at least uh, be decent enough to kind of stop the bleeding there. But I think that this is a a very winnable game for K-State. but I, I do think that there is a reality where I agree with you that this turns into a rock fight. But I, I think that the K-State offense might be able to do just enough to uh, pull away. Not by a lot, but just a little bit. That'd be nice. I would take that. Do you have any final final things you want to say about the game? I think all the portal stuff is kind of overshadowed. Uh, the fact that you know we're starting the Avery Johnson era in a bowl game. 
uh, against a quality ACC team. Uh, there has been a lot of discourse about the uh, the game, uh, at least so far. So I'm really looking forward to it, though. I'm excited, and I, I can't wait to see uh, Avery Johnson play a full game as the uh, um, de facto uh, unchallenged starter. Yeah, I am too. But that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us just about anywhere at Aggieville ACATS. And if you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at ACEdward00. I'm at Connor Balthasar, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store link in the Twitter and podcast bios. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.